0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Wild Doom podcast. This is episode 10, a real milestone finally. I'm so excited that I've made it this far. Um, 10 feels really big. Thanks so much for listening. And I do want to apologize for not having this episode out last week. I was in Ireland um, witnessing the 8th Amendment referendum passing, which is so exciting, and abortion will now be legal in Ireland. So that's... Awesome, and I don't really have words for how incredible it was to experience such a incredible historic event um It's so great to see that we can really make a difference um That movement was started by the youth, and it passed like we we were able to to push back enough to get some change and It's really so cool and inspiring to see and um I hope that's kind of a a continuing running theme through this podcast that we can talk about all these people who are really making a difference and um hopefully we all continue to to take stances of our own and and push for them and make changes in in our own lives it's it's so huge and so cool to see Um, Anyway, this week is a conversation that I'm so excited about with Kelsey Knight and Emily Varnum of The Fifth Vital Sign. So The Fifth Vital Sign of Health um, for women refers to the menstrual cycle, and that's how they got their name. Emily and Kelsey began this project in response to the real lack of education and understanding surrounding the menstrual cycle, birth control, and reproductive health. They compiled information and resources and created a course which they took and taught all over the country. They now use that course as a framework to train others to facilitate their own classes. So there's various chapters throughout the country of the fifth vital sign. Um, They've built this giant web of women educating women. I often ask people who work in this field how they work to meet women sooner and how they might help women meet their bodies sooner and be confident in understanding their bodies and their health. Kelsey and Emily are doing exactly that. They are handing women the tools to build body literacy, which in turn supports women in making informed choices regarding their health, and in the long run, having the ability to take better care of themselves and others. This is a massive, positive ripple effect, and I encourage anyone who's interested to get in touch with them and join this movement. There's links in the show notes for more information on how you can do that. And without further ado, here are Kelsey and Emily. Thanks so much for listening.
1: I'm Kelsey Knight, one of
0: the co-founders of the Fifth Vital Sign. And what is your background? If you want to tell me like a little bit about like what got you here, what yeah. How you started Fifth Vital Sign, and and what's kind of been your background? Sure. Um, well, I I went to nursing school. I
1: became a nurse and worked as a labor and delivery nurse for about two and a half years, and um, yeah, and then uh, also I'm a lactation consultant now. But I'll let Emily introduce herself, and we can we can tell our Fifth Vital Sign story together because it's Perfect. very much a collaboration.
2: Absolutely. Oh. Um, I'm Emily Vaughn. I'm also a co founder of the Fifth Visal Sign. And um Kelsey and I founded this project together in response to our work with birth. I'm a mm-hmm. doula and Kelsey's a labor and delivery nurse. Awesome.
0: I so I saw um that you're also a birth control doula and definitely curious to hear what that
2: means. Yeah, so um throughout the process of being a doula and um you know witnessing birth I did I actually specialized in postpartum okay um and I kind of started to talk with Kelsey and I would talk a lot in our neighborhood about you know what what we were seeing at work not necessarily specific things but you know like what we knew about reproductive health based on the fact based on our proximity to it, but not having gone through it ourselves, but just, you know, we talk about it in our friendship circles and it was, you know, young, like young adults, young people who had not had children yet and people started to really like, you know, start to think, start to realize that if they wanted to have that kind of conversation, they could have it with us. Mm -hmm. And so Kelsey and I were living together in Brooklyn and, um, you know, we started to get people asking questions about their bodies, about birth control, about all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, we knew that we knew stuff. We knew about like fertility awareness or, you know, we we were learning about that um, at the time and also figuring out our own bodies and our own choices and, you know, being young in New York City, keeping yeah. yourself safe, being without insurance. Um, and so we started to have these informal conversations with people Um, which led to the first class that we ever did um, uh, kind of like a precursor to fifth vital sign. And then, um, and then kind of all the birth control doula stuff came from that. So we met Holly, well, we, we connected with Holly Griggs ball. We decided to do this big cross country road trip. Um, So, you know, birth control doula is really, it's really a doula support person. It's somebody who provides information, non judgmental information, Um, and, um, yeah, it's been really great. I've been able to see people through the process of conception to postpartum.
0: That's amazing.
2: Yeah. Kelsey, do you want to add anything to that story, by the way?
0: I mean, I, I think,
1: um, you know, I, Emily was very much the one that, um, kind of came up with the idea of the birth control doula, but I think something that I'll just emphasize is how you know, a lot of us are on hormonal birth control for many, many years. And I personally was for six years. And the idea of coming off of it and just going, it's just, a, a, you know, that another transition in life can be really scary. And so I think, you know, um, doulas are there for any transition of life. And I'm, I'm happy that this one's been highlighted because I think it can be a tough transition physically and emotionally.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, like thinking of how young people go on birth control just because like they're having a period that's tricky or, you know, all the various reasons that a doctor might just put like a young teenage girl on birth control and then, yeah, making that decision to come off of it. It's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you do that. Um, Yeah, I mean, we needed that. Like I needed that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, have you found that that's been like really well received? I feel like
2: it would be. I think that it's not something that I've put a hundred percent of my attention into because, um, I don't know how I feel about, I don't know how I feel about white women privatizing every single thing that we need to survive. Yeah. And I feel like doula work can become that way. It's like, you know, it's definitely something that women of color need. Mm -hmm. like you know if we look at statistics and I think something like birth control like I guess what what I would say is that my attention has been more into the fifth vital sign and more into us providing free and low-cost information and classes where people can then go away and create that same environment within their own community so we do like facilitator trainings we do um we do events and we bring people together um but I think my my way like intuitively my way professionally is not to really buy into this idea that an expert can fix you it's more like finding the expert within you and so it's something that I offer but but it's really and I also feel like a lot of these services are very intimate and I like birth postpartum coming off birth control it's a big emotional journey and I can only give my full attention to a few people when I'm giving that work I think it's something an absolutely a valid, um, like, employment option. But for me, it's not. It's, like, something that I've done with, with you know, I'll take a few clients of this and a few clients of that and, like, a few, a few postparts and a few birth, a few birth control. And if I'm going to go through that whole journey with somebody, it has to be a right match.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's super – you have to have that, like, really serious connection, I think, because you're carrying them through the whole thing.
2: Yeah. So I guess not so much, like – that it, yeah it's it's really just something that um that I'm kind of I've been offering very you know in the in cases where it's needed but really encouraging people as a first step to say like what do you know what are your resources because I just think when people do it themselves especially when they turn around and teach somebody else that feeling is what I care about yeah. I don't care about being the expert I love you know seeing people go through that journey but and if, if that's what it takes you know this like companionship and solidarity throughout is that's great um but I'm also mindful of not kind of like making a business out of something that we need to survive right and making it inaccessible in the process yeah I don't know if that makes sense
0: no no that's what I was imagining I didn't I didn't really mean as like an employment option but just as like a kind of role and yeah yeah in all it's, of this um I think it's, it's yeah, it's really cool. Um well so then okay, this brings me back to uh Fifth Vital Sign. If you wanna tell me about what it is and how you guys got started and what it looks like now.
1: Yeah, it's it's gone through a through a lot of changes. Um when we first started, um like Emily said, we crowdfunded on Kickstarter and did this three month road trip across the U S we drove like 15,000 miles through 40, um, and gave 60 free classes in 43 States, um, mostly around like generally body literacy and informed choice, um, or informed refusal. Um, Mm -hmm. we focused on the menstrual cycle and fertility awareness and, um, uterine alignment and lifestyle and diet. Um, options and menstrual care products all to support hormonal health. And the reason we called the organization the fifth vital sign is because the menstrual cycle is a vital sign. It, that's how much information it can tell you about your body. It's a huge indicator of health, just like blood pressure or heart rate are. Um, When we got back, you know, we had to kind of ask ourselves, okay, what's next. And um, what was next was also a facilitator training Um, So we had decided, you know, this information is so vital um, and we want as many people to have access to it as possible. And so we did a facilitator training over the phone with about 50 people where we shared that original curriculum we'd created and taken on the road with them and they could teach it within their communities. And so we have these fifth vital sign chapters throughout the United States, we have um, one in Troy, New York and Austin, Texas. I just visited the um, the two people who who um, are leading the, the fifth vital sign Austin yesterday. It was amazing. We got to co-teach. Um, we have some in San Francisco and just all over. That's
2: and really then after great. that
1: experience, yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, after that experience, what we realized is, um, you know, we were getting a lot of feedback um, about, you know, what might be more applicable to, you know each respective community, and so we decided to offer a program called Conversations in Community. And um, about thirty people participated, and we um, shared the information that we had gathered and learned with them, and then supported them for three months in creating their own reproductive and sexual health and um, justice projects. So, a
0: uh, curriculum that they could share and teach within their own communities. That's amazing. So that's something that's still happening.
2: We're starting a new cohort. So we just finished a cohort and Kelsey's actually in Texas right now has been, has taught classes with um, somebody from conversations in community and somebody from, um, or two, two facilitators. So that's the most amazing thing is then we see the curriculum kind of change, like our original curriculum, but then also people's own curriculum kind of changing and developing and um we see it out there just like living an independent life, which is like kind of like parenting, right?
0: Yeah, that's so um, cool.
2: It's so amazing. And the feeling that we got when we were able to teach on our first tour, we just wanted so badly that people would feel that because that's the way that you motivate people to make this change. Is, I mean, that feeling is so good when you, and you're connecting with people and then they go in and they're like, oh, I think I'd like to do that too. Um, and so, yeah, so we we do have another cohort that we will be doing an intake for um, during May, and then we'll be starting a new cohort in June. Um, we're doing a shorter program this time. It's going to be four months of modules and, um, and two months, um, sorry, three months of modules, one month of um, one-on-one, and then two extra months of just, like, access to material, and then um, creating a project from that, because we found that people actually um, people actually can do it in shorter time and engage with it depending on, you know, we wanted to kind of offer it a different way this time.
0: How did you develop the original curriculum? Well, um,
2: good. No, I was going to say, we kind of just like (laughs) sat down and we were like, what did we want to know? And I had already done this fertility awareness, um, you know i'd already kind of looked into fertility awareness method i'd read holly griggs book sweetening the pill um so we had you know kind of kind of answered some questions for our 12 year old selves Mm -hmm. and then we started to look more and i just you know i like i saw on facebook this this picture of these two weighted womb models that one of them was a menstruating and non-menstruating uterus and we bought those and in the process of going on that website we we learned about um you know, uterine positioning, and and we kind of, like, were able to actually meet the maker of those, and have, I I was able to have my uterus repositioned, so we kind of, like, it was kind of this collective journey where we drove across America with a curriculum that we started out with, and every time somebody asked a question, we added it into the curriculum, we added the response, we were like, oh, and we kind of said, you know, we're not experts, that's always going to be our take, is, like, we're not experts, we compiled information that was available on the internet, we give it to people. We constantly update it. We constantly challenge it, and we're going to continue to do that. And if you have questions or if you have knowledge, that's part of it too. And um, so, so that's one of the reasons that we, you know, we try to always be offering some stuff that's free, and you know, offer some stuff that's um, that people pay for, and offer scholarships is because we do feel like we've had such a collaboration with people. We do feel like people have been so generous with their with their curiosity. And that has allowed us to know what we've wanted to answer. And that's going to continue to change. Conversations in community talks about, you know, it talks about so many different things. It's not just anatomy and physiology and hormonal health. It talks about white supremacy. You know, like it talks about political events. It talks about all of these things, because when you look at people that menstruate and you look at how they're doing in a community, you can see the health of that community too, in the way that if you look at the menstrual cycle, you can see the health of that body.
1: Right. I would also want, I guess, to invite your listeners to, um, you know, if they feel compelled, certainly reach out to us and join conversations and community, but just to teach whatever excites them. Um, When I was teaching with one of our participants from conversations and community afterward, she said, I didn't realize it was this easy to teach. I mean, and certainly she had gone through years of (laughs) gaining knowledge. She's an herbalist. um, So she had a lot of information to share and it's something she's really excited about. And we got to collaborate as I kind of talked about fertility awareness and she talked about herbs that can support the menstrual cycle, but it was so nice to hear her say that because I think we have this really hierarchical relationship sometimes between like quote students and quote teachers when we're always in that role simultaneously Um, and I think it can be easier than we think to gather people together and to you know to do it ethically and um, you know we always want to make sure we're holding proper space for people Um, but it was it I think sometimes the barrier to entry seems higher than it is.
0: Definitely. I mean, yeah, I I was thinking about that when I was thinking about talking to you guys. I feel like you have a really accessible way of putting out this information. Um, And learning even can just feel really inaccessible for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. So I think that's so important, of of course. But I'm curious, like how you've been able to cultivate that because it doesn't, it's not super easy to make things seem like they are for everyone. We've probably made a
2: lot of mistakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've been really lucky with the people that we've um, had, you know, for me personally, I've, I've always had really, really amazing mentors. Emma um, Brill from um, Village Birth International was the, the woman who trained me as a doula and then um, really has been mentoring me, you know, for the last five years and just as a friend and, and a you know really a family member but has really um uh been a been a big influence and um you know we, we also we do other things so fifth vital sign is not our main thing and I think that allows us not to have a bit like we're not really capitalism driven people that's not to say that we're willing to be taken advantage of but it means that um I think that we really care people are the central part of what we do Mm-hmm. we really care about people and we really care about people's experiences in their bodies we care about them being safe we care about justice um and so when you centralize that you do end up saying no to certain things and saying yes to other things i think that's been a big and and we we have hard conversations with each other that's kind of what we signed up for in our friendship we um you know it's it's challenging um and we it's like how, how you prioritize your time as, as, um, as co-founders, right? Like we really care about process. We really care about, um, you know, I don't know if you've read emergent strategy, but like small interactions reflecting the large. So, um, you know, just really thinking about like details and, you know, if you get an email response from us, probably both of us have looked at it and, you know, decided that that was, that was the right thing. It's just, we, we really put a lot of care into what we're doing. And that doesn't mean that we're going to get it right. It just means that um, if we don't get it right, we're going to sit down and we're going to, there'll be a process for how that will be um, restructured. And we care about people's feedback. You know, we're small enough that if we get like a comment on Instagram, we probably both saw it and we probably will respond to it. We have time to sit down and answer people's questions. People ask us questions all the time and we'll sit down and send you know, a whole email back. Um, and that, that's because we really care about this. We know how much it affects people's lives and, and that's what we've chosen to do. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's constant, it's a constant journey. And what we prioritize with our time outside of directly kind of teaching and building curricula is that we go to a lot of conferences, reproductive justice conferences, and we learn from the the women who created or the people who created reproductive justice, which is women of color. And I think trusting, believing um, women of color, when they tell you what their experiences are, when they tell you what reproductive justice is, is really a number one step if you want to be in the world of reproductive health. Like if you're not doing that, you actually shouldn't be doing it.
0: I, yeah, totally agree. Especially like, I mean, all the time, but I feel like especially now we're finally getting some more space to have those conversations, mm-hmm. and it's so important. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, yeah, a very important thing to say. I want to, like, underline what you just said. <laughs> totally,
2: and it's where, and be specific about, you know, it's okay to be specific about who you're for, too. That's a, a recent thing we've kind of been talking about. Is like, oh, like, we're for menstruators, but when we say menstruation we mean, we mean a physiological menstruation, but we also believe that you can be psychologically menstruating. So we, we invite trans women who maybe don't physiologically menstruate. We invite trans women into the space. It doesn't, you know, we, we don't exclude anybody, but there's like people who this work is directly for and there's people who are allies of the people who the work is directly for. And that is okay. I think sometimes we're afraid to be specific about who we're for. Mm-hmm. And and you know, we're afraid to say like, hey, if you have the resources, you pay for it. We're afraid to say like you know, we're afraid to set that boundary because we feel like then we're not helping people, but we don't help people when we also allow them to recreate the same patterns of patriarchy and white supremacy within a learning space. So we kind of have to have that balance of like allowing some things or inviting some things and then saying the best way to help some things is to say no or yeah. is to set a boundary. That makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Has that come up a lot for you? Like having to set those boundaries? Yeah.
2: I mean, in terms of like, you know, um we teach a consent in patriarchy, like a consent and patriarchy class.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um we've we and we teach, you know, more recently we've been teaching in a lot more kind of larger social justice settings. Um, so the the group is you know there for many different reasons not just to learn about menstrual cycle staff or to learn about consent or whatever it is um and so you know one of the things you know we've we've thought really hard about how classroom settings are set up where a lot of times the voices that are prioritized are the whitest and closest to cis male so that proximity to whiteness and patriarchy ends up being prioritized and those people are speaking the most and we're hearing those voices the most so We are intentional about saying we don't want to recreate that in the space. Um, So sometimes we'll do, we'll specifically do exercises where people are not speaking up and and sharing their experience because that can also be re triggering for people, re traumatizing. Um, But it changes every time. You know, sometimes we are inviting that. It depends, you know, what the space is for and how people are being invited to share in the space. I think that's the thing too is that sometimes we'll have one person who's like I'm gonna which I'm doing right now which I'm gonna do all the talking
1: (laughs) oh my gosh no
2: (laughs) but you know so we we kind of are mindful about like how that space is held because we've always thought that that was okay we've always thought you know I never go to a conference and don't see that the whitest closest to cis male closest patriarchy closest to whiteness voices are not just putting their hands up and telling their own stories and not contributing to the to the question asking to information that's relevant to the whole group because we've been told that that's okay right. we don't want to say that's okay because we don't think that that helps anybody
0: yeah i totally agree it seems like you've all been super intentional about how this is being talked about and how you're moving through the whole system i think that's great yeah thanks to the feedback from other people
1: certainly as
0: well yeah definitely so that's probably changed then over time like those are the things you're learning as you oh absolutely yeah that's awesome it's great that people are willing to give you feedback as well oh my god so
2: grateful for that
1: yeah
0: to put the emotional
2: energy in Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it's a lot it's a lot to stand up and correct people and make sure that like what their needs are, are being met. I think that's awesome. Um, that was one, one of my questions was, is like, how, how are you getting people to, to do that? Like to ask the questions they need to ask or, you know, give you feedback or whatever. I was kind of thinking specifically about like the curriculum, but it does kind of touch upon this broader topic.
1: Um, It's come in a number of different ways. I mean, sometimes, uh, along the road trip, um, You know, people would just come up to us after the class and and give us little comments. Um, I mean, I remember a couple like very specifically actually at our first class when we were advertising the class. And this is kind of goes back to what Emily was saying, like where you you do have to be honest and pretty clear about who the class is for. Um, And, you know, we've we've changed our class since then. But at the time, at the very first class, we were saying, you know, um, this class is for people who have gone through menopause but we didn't actually have anything about menopause or we had very limited information about it in the class at the time and so this um woman came up to us afterward and just said like I didn't feel like this was for me and um yeah so that was that was really valuable information and brave of her to to come up to us and say that I mean and then we get feedback in more formal ways where we're like just asking for it so after a facilitator trainings, or after this, you know, cohort of conversations and community, we'll send a survey out. Um, and we'll just request information about people's experiences and what we can improve. That's
0: good. And who, who do you feel, um, I mean, I, I, I guess you probably could figure this out with the trip, but who's like asking for this education? Like, where are you finding that space? And the places that it's needed i think everybody needs it but <laughs> the people that are like willing to hear it who are they
2: i think that's still evolving for us yeah um because i think there's there's a le- there's a layer of people who are asking for it because they're already in a similar profession to us mm-hmm. um so they're already kind of adjacent to the work and then there's there's people who have access to people who so maybe, like, they have a program or they work at a school or whatever, so they have, like, access to space and they also are in contact with people who, you know, have been requesting this information. And I think that's how we often find kind of specific groups of people is when somebody who, you know, is is really an advocate for a, a number of people, whether it's, like, students at a school or people at a shelter, and they say come to the organization and teach um I think the direct contact um actually in terms of you know we're online and we're not necessarily in person I think that direct contact would come more from being like in a space or in a certain facility or um program repeatedly I don't think it comes directly you know I don't think it's as easy to find anything if you're not in a space where you are either an adult and able to access, you know, able to make those kinds of decisions. But I think definitely for people who, um, you know, kids and teenagers and people that have just less agency about where they're going to be at a certain time, I think that they rely on, yeah, really getting into school. So that's something that we really um, find really important is being in schools.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, it, it really is. It does rely so much on, people you know there are are gatekeepers to this information and we come up against that all the time um and that's like something that you know we've got to keep pushing for we've got to keep making those connections so if you're a teacher out there or if you're you know somebody who runs an after-school program or somebody who works at a shelter or somebody you know who um does work with with incarcerated people who are menstruating Think about whether there are things that you need that we can provide. Is that curriculum that you need? Is that information? Um, because that's what we're really interested in, too.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, teaching in school. So you're are you teaching to kids, too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We just
1: taught um, some eighth graders in Queens.
0: And along the, the road trip as well, we taught in a few schools. How is that different than teaching like the adult classes?
2: Well, it's more fun. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <Add to
2: that>. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: um we do get consent.
2: Fun.
1: Yeah, we get consent forms from the parents of the students. Um and sometimes that's that's something that the school is facilitating. Um, we really I guess trust the kids too um about what their preferences are and um we we handed out like anonymous note cards where kids they could just write um any question they wanted to and we we would answer them um yeah it doesn't look a whole a whole lot different to be honest yeah um I feel like
0: um there's probably a similar amount of knowledge I do think you know because sex ed has been so poor in this country for so long that so many people just don't know anything and I feel like adults are less willing to ask the questions because they just kind of think that they should know it Do you that's like...
2: definitely something we actually have that as part of our intro where we say like sex education or reproductive health education is kind of like when you meet somebody for the first time and they say their name really fast and you don't quite get it and then you know you you kind of the time window for when you can ask what their name is kind of passes. So you're always just like, Hey dude, what's up? <laughs> that's such a good and analogy. I can find out what it is. And that's kind of what it's like, you know, you get to a certain age where it's like, you should probably know all of this right. and there's never an opportunity where you can be like, Oh God, I'm so, I don't know. And I need to know, but it's, it's so much, you know, it, there's so much at stake when you don't know.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure you both have come across that in the work that you do outside of this, like in birth and everything, people just not knowing their anatomy. Yeah,
2: totally. Mm -hmm. Not knowing stuff basic, you know, like basic stuff that that is really their right to know.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So what, what has brought you two to be able to like feel... I don't know. Empowered in your own bodies and like your own reproductive health. Like, how have you been able to kind of work through that on your own in order to get here?
1: I think it's still still a daily um journey. I mean, in no way am I do I wake up every day and I'm um you know super super excited about um my own like personal body awareness. So I I think and maybe that makes me. And even, I don't know, more accessible teacher sometimes because I'm on that same journey, I think. Um, yeah. But I've, I've started, I, you know, I do practice fertility awareness, but specifically like taking my basal body temperature every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think there's so many things that we teach in our classes that I've been able to, to start applying in my own life um, that make me feel really excited
0: yeah so do do you both practice the fertility awareness method
2: we each um have a daisy which is a device that um it's actually a medical device that can um basically if you just take your temperature every morning will predict your like fertility um and so we both use that um and and to your point to your question um I really feel empowered by just like the cultural shifts that have been happening you know like I never thought I would feel the way I feel about my past experiences I, I just didn't think that this would ever happen in my lifetime where I'd be able to frame my past experiences differently because of a movement like Me Too Yeah, you know like something like that where to run a book in in creating this thing really um really like successfully in many ways made this cultural shift where we where you know it's been tangible for me in how I relate to my own experience so things like that um like I always focus on the cultural shift because that's what really makes a difference to me um but then the the you know just the physical knowledge like yeah we we're using like fertility awareness method um I feel a lot more um I feel like it really helps me to address the power dynamic when I visit a healthcare provider that I have information Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know it's I feel like I just like I know what I'm talking about um and I don't feel like they can intimidate me yeah um which also comes from being a doula right like we have a lot of practice of speaking to doctors we start to realize they're people we start to know some doctors we start to like that also kind of changes that whole thing it's like when you realize that your parents are people
0: right yeah it's true (laughs) yeah like seeing your teacher outside of school it's kind of yeah you're like oh
2: you're a person like (laughs) you probably have relationship problems you probably like sometimes oversleep and like don't don't make make your bed whatever like you you kind of realize that they're like people
0: yeah definitely it it does make it a lot easier to engage with them when you are in that role for sure well, how do you, for people that aren't, who like don't have that practice and how do you help them advocate for themselves? Mm-hmm. In terms of,
1: uh, well, we, we recommend like, um, you know, writing down your questions before any appointment or bringing a trusted friend with you to an appointment who maybe knows, you know, you talked about what you wanted and can kind of remind you of what questions you wanted to ask, um, or what you wanted prior to the, to the meeting. I think learning about white coat syndrome was really powerful for me when I was a nurse. Um, and that's when, you know, for example, with blood pressure, if, if a doctor is taking your blood pressure, it can be much higher in the presence of the doctor. Whereas if you took the blood pressure cuff and stethoscope home and and took your own blood pressure, it would be totally normal. Um, and so I think we can feel really intimidated when we're around doctors like you all were, were talking about um, until we sort of, you know, humanize them a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, those are two really, really good ways to, you know, if you're, um, oh, one, one other little tool that we teach in our classes is an acronym called BRAIN.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I know a lot of doulas use this already, but B, these are just five questions that you can ask yourself about or ask your doctor about a procedure or a medication you're considering. And um, you want to ask, what are the benefits? So B stands for benefits. What are the risks? Um, what are the alternatives? What is your intuition saying? That's a question you ask yourself. Yeah. And then um, what if we, like, do nothing? Um, or what if we wait? And so those are those are a couple of like just really simple tools that I hope are helpful for people.
0: Definitely. That's such a great one. I, I actually haven't heard that as a doula. I I mean, I think I couldn't kind of have used those, but I really like that as an acronym it makes it mm-hmm. easy for people. That's great. Um, yeah. And so in your classes, like how are, how are they structured? Are they, are they focused towards like advocacy? I'm, I'm i know that's a part of it, but um or do you focus mostly just on like education of the yeah menstrual cycle and all that
2: It's both Yeah. Yeah, I mean our um you know our philosophy is like you're the authority on your body so the individual is the authority on your body on their body they deserve support we we take a holistic you know approach because we know that um our um We know that, for instance, like our mental health affects our physical health, our emotional health affects affects our physical health. So we kind of think about like all of those things. We think about the way in which people receive information um, and we don't make people wrong about the things that they decide to do. Mm So, you know, your decision is your decision. We just want to make sure that people have all the information with which to make that decision and then have the support once they've made it. Um, whatever that decision is. so it's it's really you know it's always going to be evolving, but we aim for a, a non-judgmental approach. And then we talk about advocacy. We talk about having community with you um, in taking these steps. We talk about resources. we talk about how important it is to have you know friends within your circle who you can be on this journey with. and um, we talk about relationships and the effect they have on your hormones when you're in relationships that are stressful, for example. So we do talk about things, we talk about interpersonal um, issues, but then we also provide like really an overview of, of lots lots of different topics and um, and then resources where people can start to find more. So it's really just what what our initial curriculum is, is just a way for people to kind of open a door and say like, okay, this part of it is for me and I'm going to look into that more and here's the ways that I'm going to do that we don't provide people with a like okay here's all the steps go away like you have everything now because we can't right that's not possible in two hours but that's okay with us because we want people to do it themselves anyway so it's kind of just to get the wheels in motion and then people go away and and they do it and then we hear all these great stories and that's yeah that's what it's about really
0: yeah, you're, like, giving them the training wheels. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's great. Um, what have you found to be, like, the most surprising about what people don't know? Or has it been surprising? Or what would you want people to know? What do you feel like is most important for women to know about their bodies as they're, like, starting to get this literacy? I think what Emily
1: was, was talking about, about um, people just being the authority in their, on their body because they live in their bodies. Right. Um, I think that's, I hope that's, that's part of the takeaway. Um, that's probably, yeah. Even if they don't remember any of the information from the class, it's such a jam packed class in in two hours, this original class that we were teaching, I hope they at least walk away feeling more confident and in, mm-hmm. in their, in their, their knowledge of their bodies, just inherently, whether they didn't even know, like know the words or concepts that we were sharing with them, that just because. Um, they live in their bodies every day. They they are the, uh, you know, the authorities on them.
0: And um, I, I heard, I think, Kelsey, you saying this about people meeting their cervix for the first time in labor. Um, I think I think I saw that in like an interview you did. I really like that statement I think it's it really rings true um and I've been talking to a lot of people on this podcast about like how we can reach people sooner So like how can we get how can we get people to meet their cervixes sooner and what do you what do you think yeah
1: I actually heard Emily say that for it's the first Emily time. okay I'm sorry um, no no no. <laughs> it it was likely yeah it was I, I'm sure I, I use the phrase now too but I will um give props to Emily for that for the original use of it um yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually part of the reason that we were so inspired to start the fifth vital sign was, okay, we need to a lot, most, a lot of people don't go into the labor and delivery room anyway. Um, and yeah, we need to reach them so much earlier. And so, you know, we hope the fifth vital sign is one of the answers to your question that, um, you know, through the, the information that we're sharing and that so many other organizations and individuals have been sharing for so long um, that that people can have access to this information, you know, way before they're, they're in labor. Mm -hmm. And we can, we would be happy to give you like a list of other organizations that are doing really important work. Um,
0: Yeah. That was actually one of my questions. I'd love to have that and be able to like link to it or something. Mm
2: -hmm. There's so many great organizations out there doing this work. And I think because there's been this recognition of the fact that we're getting there late, but, I think that we could be, we can be getting there much earlier and affecting, you know, people's ability to even make decisions Um, and certainly their information with which to make those decisions. We can be doing that so much earlier. And I think just forming those relationships, one of the reasons I first said that thing about the cervix was that it really, you know, it it was like this defining moment where I was at birth and I was like, oh, you really are understanding that you have a cervix for the first time. And, and it's this huge deal. You're, you're pushing a baby out. And, you know, as doulas, we, 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 we witness that leverage that a provider can have when they're pushing an intervention and they can just say like, oh, but the baby, you right. know, and there's, so there's all this pressure on, on this moment. And it's like, there can be this relationship with the body beforehand where we build that trust. And so when somebody comes in and, and questions that relationship, and questions that part of your body, you say, but I know this part of my body. I've been, I've been in a relationship with it. So if you're going to try and tell me something, I'm going to have some follow up questions because this is what I know about this part of my body. It's normalized that I know it. Um, and actually, you don't live in my body, so you might not know it. You're welcome to give some information and in your opinion, but you can't make my decision for me. And I think that that's what we we aim for, you know, is is that kind of confidence that we get when when it's normal to know our bodies and not to outsource the the, the decision making and and really the um the authority. It's like we would, you know, many of us were raised to to say that a doctor knows more about our body than we do, and it's just not true.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Another thing has been. Yeah, like people, I find people I work with most of the time are either like afraid of their bodies or don't know them um, or just, and maybe it's not that they're afraid of their bodies, but they're, they just don't trust them and we're not really taught to trust them or to like be super in tune with that intuition. Um, How, how do you feel like you have been able to do that? Because I feel like that's probably something you've done a lot of work on if you're doing the work that you do. I don't. Oh,
2: me personally. For both of you, yeah. Um, I think when when I think something and my body proves it to me, I really am somebody who needs like I'm somebody who will be like, oh, cool, meditation, but like let me also look at the scientific evidence for that. Like I I kind of like to see. I really like science. I really like to understand like why something happens. Mm-hmm. And so when my body, when I make a prediction and my body communicates that that prediction was correct or that I kn- that I knew the answer because of what I know about my body, that really, that really like gives me, that gives me such a positive like feedback almost because it, it's a communication. It's a conversation with your body, yeah. right? So when I have that conversation and I feel like we're actually communicating, that's when I feel the most, you know, the most empowered and the most motivated to continue to do whatever it is that I'm doing what about you Kelsey
1: no I think I feel I feel the same way um yeah I think I feel the same way and just yeah trying to increase my mindfulness and taking like those small moments I think sometimes especially living in New York City you feel so busy and it's like oh I don't even have time for that um but I do shower every day and (laughs) you know almost every day (laughs) So in those moments where I'm already like touching my body, just t- like being more mindful about, you know, actually consciously being like, I am touching my body and this is what my breasts are feeling like, or this is what my cervical positioning um, is feeling like, although I'm not someone who can feel their cervix very easily. Um, but yeah, just, just taking those like more conscious mindful moments and being aware of my body and being grateful for my body as well.
0: Yeah yeah i feel like um a lot of this and like i think especially like fertility awareness and just generally improving our education about our bodies is such a good way to improve the relationships with their bodies mm-hmm. which i feel like is something i want to i mean cultivate in myself but also more for the people i work with too um yeah it's it's so important um how how would you like encourage people to get started on that
1: yeah, I think sometimes, um, I mean, there's so many, you know. Yeah, there's so many Articles ways. <laughs> and recommendations. There are a lot of ways, but I think there's also a lot of pressure. Like so much of what I read, you know, these days is like, do this and it will improve X, Y, Z. And so um, I think like what's, I guess I can recommend what's worked for me personally as well. is just like incorporating it into things you already do throughout your day. And just increasing your like consciousness around it, being more intentional about it. Um. Yeah. And then if that's something that feels good to you and that you enjoy, then there are um, other ways like through fertility awareness, which, um, you know, by checking your resting temperature every morning and checking your cervical position every day or when you're peeing on the toilet and you're wiping, like, how did that, um, like looking at the toilet paper afterward and seeing what your cervical fluid looks like that day. So there are, you know, other ways you can get deeper and deeper into it. I think journaling. Um, you know, if you're on the, I'm, I'm I live in New York, so I'm thinking about writing the train or something. Or maybe you could do a voice memo if you, um, you know, if you're walking around and just saying how you feel that day, um, or writing down like a sentence about how your body is feeling that day. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What I about you, I'm, Emily? Yeah,
2: I think a first step is to ask if you want to do it and why. Um, I I oftentimes um, will sit down and just ask myself this is something I was taught as a kid to ask what's in the way um so it would be like I would ask what what was in the way of like a friendship with somebody I would ask what was in the way of me achieving something that I knew was possible for me to achieve and I think I think we really a lot of times we're so influenced by the wellness movement quote unquote yeah um and I yeah. feel like we need, we, we need to we kind of need to try and do um We kind of need to try and do it one week. I'm like buying all the supplies to do one thing and then the next week. So it's kind of like, I would really recommend if you're going to make this time investment and it's also, you know, if you want to get more into it, it's a financial investment. If you wanted to do, you know, get like one of the basal body temperature devices or something, I think like sit down. I don't think we take enough time with ourselves to sit down and ask ourselves those questions of like, what is it that I need? What's important to me? What's in the way? Mm -hmm. um what resources do I have to start this and I think start where you are don't wait for the ideal moment like start where you are with what you know and what you have around you kind of like you know I've been following a lot of zero waste things recently and everybody who's you know writing about it um is saying like use what you have you know and I think that's true of this too use what you have already um, go low on the financial investment. Cause sometimes I think we, we equate capitalism with, with wellness and health and it's, it's actually the opposite. Yeah. Um, so really just like sit with yourself, spend some time, ask yourself those questions, ask your body those questions. Some of the most impactful things I've done for my health have been by myself, um, really just going into, um, word affirmation, which is what I use for pain management. Um, Like going into meditation, like really just very low key in terms of needing any resources to do it at all. Those have been some of the most healing things that that I've done for myself. So like really challenge, you know, the idea of having to make big investments to experience something Um, and focus on relationships, the relationship to yourself and your body and the relationship to your community and the people that support you and your choices.
0: Awesome. That's great advice. Yeah, I think I, I really agree with the whole, uh, I don't know, the wellness industry and the capitalism idea. And it's kind of like, I think we're kind of in this world right now where you feel like it's got to be all or nothing. So like taking those smaller steps is important. Yeah, I think I remember Holly Griggsball talking about how like,
1: kind of the message I think we get sometimes when we're just berated with like, do this, do this, um, do this is like, oh, we're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. And like really the whole idea that we're trying to get across is that you you totally are enough.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love that. That's uh, been a big thing for me lately too. Just, yeah, reminding yourself and everybody like you're doing enough. You're right where you need to be. Yeah, that's great. Um. Uh, one thing is – I guess it kind of ties into this Um, when you're starting or people are starting out on maybe like an alternative quote unquote, like method for birth control or fertility awareness um, that can seem like such a big thing to tackle. How would you like encourage people to start that process? So they're sorry, they're transitioning
1: from hormonal contraception. Yeah. yeah, Sorry.
0: I should have been clear. Um, Yeah. Like if, if someone you're working with um is yeah trying to do that like trying to make the transition from maybe being on something that they've been on since they were a teenager and you know never really experienced their body without it and then are trying to get off of that and move through that transition what would what would be a good way to start
1: yeah i mean um emily i you know you can take this over since you've done more like birth control jula work but i think um you know, even kind of starting to think about it and to prepare before they come off. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the hormonal contraception can be really helpful in having, you know, that trusted friend or that trusted, you know, community members around them who can be there if they're just having a really hard day after, you know, during part of the transition and can call them or text them or meet up with them. Um, yeah, and then just trying I think to gather as much information um, as they can beforehand to know how to support themselves emotionally and physically during that time.
0: Okay. Um, Do you have any favorite like resources for that? Like books or websites or apps? Um, I think, you know, one of the big things with birth control, like hormonal birth control is that people think it's really convenient. So how could, other ways be convenient as well
2: yeah um I think finding so reading a book beforehand like I guess if you've done that stage of saying like okay this is something I want to do and really delving into that personal work and prioritizing it as like this isn't a time investment I make as preventative care we're not very we don't really lean towards preventative care because I think a lot of times we're still in that model of like, oh, something will come along and fix me. Like, oh, one day I'll have this big procedure or this big breakthrough, whatever it is, and my health will be okay. Instead of saying every day I make an investment in staying well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think um, once you've kind of done that work, read some books. There's a reading list on our website, I think you know, starting with taking charge of your fertility, reading Woman Code, like reading some books about this stuff and, you know, learning more, supplementing your knowledge, coming to some classes. I think really at first, just really let yourself be open to whatever it is that you're learning about. So take notes, um, carve out time to, you know, go to events. There's plenty in New York. There's plenty, you know, actually seeing more and more um, menstrual cycle stuff cropping up in different places all all over the world. Um, So take that time to intentionally gather information and then think about where you, what you want to do. So I really don't rush people when they decide to come off of birth control. I don't rush them Mm -hmm. um, because I find that that means a lot of times that they will end up going back on. Yeah. What we normally do is that we will um, take some time together to think about their plan you know, their strategy for coming off. So we'll think about diet, we'll think about like, how does this, you know, what's the conversation with your partner? Um, how are they going to support you? What's the conversation if you know that you might end up having, you know, some cycles of adjustment? What's the conversation with your job? Um, what's your diet? How is your sleep going to be? What is your, um, you know, the health of your bladder, like we think about all these different things. Um, and we create a plan. And then they come off when they're ready and we actually start implementing some of that stuff beforehand. So, um, you know, and, and, and so much comes up. I mean um, the, you know, we'll talk about ancestry. We'll talk about, you know, the family member, like everything comes into that relationship with the body and there's so much fear. And so we don't rush it. We, we give it the attention that it's asking us to give it because that's what you're supposed to do with your body. Um, and so then when people come off, I think like having had that amount of time, not rushing, not doing anything out of fear, not doing anything because, you know, suddenly it's being written about by Gwyneth Paltrow and it's like, (laughs) you've got to start doing now for some reason, really like seeing if that's an authentic decision that your body wants to make and that you want to make. Um, And then, you know, then finding these resources and and really that's the easy part because there's lots of resources out there. Um, But really for any change, for any habit forming, you have to want to do it and you have to feel supported in the fact that you can be honest about whether you want to do it or not. And nobody can make you do that. Not even you, if you don't truly want to.
0: Right. Yeah. Kind of a separate conversation, but I'm curious like what your own self-care tactics are around all of that and around like your fertility and understanding your body and what are some things that you like to do to take care of yourselves?
2: Um, one thing that has probably been the most influential self-care thing I've done for myself this year is that I have been working on actively being more vulnerable with people and letting people love me. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's a really big deal, especially for people who, um, especially for people who do a lot of work with people, It's just like letting that in. Um, my self-care always involves like very deep questioning and personal growth on the, on the inside. Um, but if I'm doing anything on the outside, like in terms of my hormonal health, my skin is something that needs a lot of attention. So I'll do like, I've really put a lot of attention into learning about skincare. And um, that's been really great. And, you know, drinking water, like very basic stuff, but just making sure that my body is able to receive it. So in terms of my hormonal health, I also have um, friends who are herbalists, a woman called Heather who um, has Hedrich Holistics. Um, I get tinctures from her. That's a great like self-care thing that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, teas, abdominal massage. There's great people who do that. Um, and then just spending the time and like, you know, sometimes making myself spend the time to actually like be there for myself, show up for myself. What about you, Carlos? I know your phone's about to die um
0: is there anything else you'd want to add or um tell people like how they could get involved
2: um yeah so people can look at our website it's five vital sign we have um a facility like we said we have a training coming up it's conversations in community it's um, it's total six months three months of modules one month of mentorship and two months of kind of like access to that information um, we um, we're constantly traveling so if people want to email us through the website or email us at the fifth vital sign at gmail.com we're always willing to answer questions we're willing to um, we're willing to go anywhere in the world um, so you know, we're going to be in Nashville in June, um, doing, uh, doing a workshop there. We, we trust local people. So we always try to find local organizations or, you know, local people, um, who are either interested or working in this field and will collaborate.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so we, we really like to kind of be embedded in the community. Um, and if you want to follow us on instagram it's at the fifth vital sign um you can dm us there too if there are topics you want to see covered like just just ask for what you need um and we put stuff out anyway but um yeah we just we just really love to connect with people so any way that you feel comfortable to do that we want to invite you to go for it
0: awesome thank you so much